Genesis 33. Genesis 33. Today we're going to talk a little bit about a journey. Um, the one thing, personally, I'm going to say the word journey a bunch. And when I do that, one of my smart aleck kids, which will remain nameless, Casey, says, uh, you know, Dad, I just didn't get that journey thing. <laughs> so I'm going to cut him off right at the pass because you're going to hear it a bunch today. So I'm going to take that out of his cells right now. All right. They need a little bit of that because they torment me. So a fact. You know, if you've got kids, you know what I mean. You'll get a chance to get them back. And when you do, do it. Because they deserve way more. Genesis 33. We're going to read first. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, Esau came. And with him, 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah, and unto Rachel, and unto the hand, two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children furthermost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph in the hinderpost. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times, until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him, embraced him, fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. He lifted up his eyes and saw the woman and the women and the children and said, Who are those with thee? And he said, The children which God hath graciously given thy servant. Then the handmaids came near and their children, and they bowed themselves. And Leah also with her children came near and bowed themselves. And after Joseph, near and Rachel... And they bowed themselves. And he said, What meanest thou that all this drove which I've met? And he said, These are to find grace in the sight of my Lord. And Esau said, I have enough, my brother. Keep that which thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if thou have, I have found grace in thy sight, and received my presence at the hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I have seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that thou brought unto thee, because God had dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged himself, and he took it. And he said, Let us take our journey, and let us go, and I will go before thee. And he said unto him, My Lord knoweth that the children are tender, and the flocks and the herds with the young are with me. And if the men should overdrive them one day, all the flock will die. Let my Lord, I pray thee, pass over before thy servants. And I will lead on softly, according to the cattle of the children, be able to endure until I come unto my Lord to his ear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. God, there's no doubt I, I definitely got this from you because I personally could not do this. I personally can't stand here. I personally couldn't be here. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for the Word of God. Thank you for the Spirit. Thank you for these uh, brethren and sisters in Christ. Father, we do pray for a preacher. Pray for Brother Matt. Father, pray for uh, the department heads and Sunday school teachers and all that come and go to this place. 
Lord, put your heads around this message today. Father, we, we all walk out of here a little closer to you. May there be a great shout in the camp, not for me, but for you, Lord. Thank you, Father, for the Spirit. Thank you for this book. And Father, just give me the words to say and how to say it. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Esau and Jacob, their journey, they met. They were both in a journey. Journey before Esau vowed to kill Jacob, his brother. Today I'm going to talk about where are you at in your journey? We're all on a journey of some kind. I'm going to tell a story, and this may bore the socks out of some people, but it shouldn't because you live right by where it happened. It's called the Oregon Trail. I started studying about it, and wow, there's a lot there. I won't bore you with the hours of information. I'll try to be quite expedient. Marcus Whitman was one of the first, a Presbyterian minister in 1836, to start the Oregon Trail. 2,000-mile journey, mostly immigrants, farmers, and city folks. The farmers and the immigrants did much better than the city folks because uh, they were better hand with livestock and wagons. Around most of the wagons, there were too much stuff. They were only allowed 2,000 pounds per four by six wagon, and they'd put their family heirlooms and jewels and stuff, but they had to put that over, uh, close to 2,000 pounds of food in there. And along the Oregon Trail, hundreds of thousands of people went there from start to finish. It was like a mall shopping area because people would get going in the, the famous rock, rocker or the, the Chester drawers or, or whatever. They'd have to put out to the side because it was too rigorous. They didn't understand the trip. They had to throw all their stuff away. And it started mostly in Independence, Missouri. Over 30 years, 400,000 settlers made the journey. Well, it took four to six months, and they walked 15 to 20 miles per day. It was rugged. 90% of the wagon had the, had the food, um, which caused the settlers to walk. I don't know what you think about walking 2,000 miles. I mean, they had little clothes. They usually had three changes of clothes, and they had the long ways to go, and very rugged. They would wake up. There was a story of wagon trains, which uh, progressed into that. And there was a wagon boss. Would make a breakfast of some sorts, and they would look for wood-burning products. But because there's hundreds of thousands of people going through there, they would use up the wood. And sometimes they'd have to go a mile to get wood or use buffalo chips to heat to start a fire. At 7 o'clock, it would be wagons ho. They'd take off, and they'd stop at lunch at noon. They'd come to 5 o'clock, and they, which they would make their dinner. The women would wash their clothes. Women sure get the poor end of this deal. And they circled the wagons, not because of Indians, but to keep the livestock in. The next day, for six months, the boss would say, wagons ho, and off they go, because they didn't want to get their line out of line. And because there's so much, imagine this, so many hundreds and thousands of, of wagons they would eat the wagon's dust for four to six months. That's why everyone wanted to be out in first, because the dust clumps were unbearable. One to ten adults died along the way, and one to five children died along the way due to accidents, mostly falling out of the wagon. They weren't in the wagon, hitting their head on a rock, snake bites, 
Uh, the animals would trample kids because you know how kids play and don't pay attention? Well, here comes some ox, and they'd walk right over. A lot of kids were killed just due to accidental death. Along the way, cholera was the most feared. If you got cholera, you were dead within 12 to 24 hours. Dysentery, typhoid, tuberculosis, mumps, measles, flu, and smallpox. When they started, they thought they could use horses, but they couldn't because horses need a particular diet. So they had to go to mules or oxen because they could eat anything. One thing about the Oregon Trail is a lot of people got saved along the Oregon Trail. Extremely harsh environment. When I grew up, cowboys were good guys, Indians were bad guys. When you had the big fight with your kids, everybody wanted to be the cowboys, and the less popular kids got to be the Indians. It's just the way it is, and and the Indians always die, no matter what. (laughs) True racism, man. But the fact of the matter is, in the beginning, the Indians were extremely friendly. The Indians actually helped hundreds of thousands of settlers on river crossings, helped them kill and obtain animals, traded with them for their products so they could get fresh livestock, and they would take guns and stuff like that. And actually, the Indians were at such a help of the settlers in the beginning for the long time until the settlers started killing all the buffalo then it turned the other way. So no matter what you think, many, 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 many people were not only spared from the Indians, they were protected by the Indians. Indians were very good for the wagon train. But they all had to go through the South Pass in the Rockies this way. It's a 12-mile chasm that they could get through. But there was another party who did not do that. They got through the South Pass, but they wanted to take another pass and that was the Donner Party. They, take, they took the Hastings Cutoff. And what that was is Hastings Cutoff was a shortcut into California. The, the crazy part was, it was a lie. Not only did the Donner Party leave late, 43 children with them, they took the Hastings Cutoff because this guy said it was much better, much quicker, but it was a lie and it was the wrong way to go. And everybody knows, we'll get to them in a minute, what happened there. Why? 2,000 miles of unknown. A better life, better climate, longer growing season, free land. See, immigrants, a lot of immigrants came and crossed the United States and farmers because they got free land. And immigrants from all over the world never had land. So they wanted to make that 2,000-mile journey. Now, if I said to you, do you want to walk with me for 2,000 miles for four to six months, I don't think there would be anybody but maybe a super fit guy would want to maybe do that. But it was women, children, tall, skinny, chubby. I don't think there was too many chubby guys back then. And when they got done with the trip, they definitely weren't chubby. But 2,000 miles, a great Loss of life. We're all in a journey. Everyone in this auditorium today is in some kind of journey. Fighting the invisible. If you're trying to grow uh, spiritually, the invisible just is awful. Crucifying the flesh. Growing in the word. Growing with each other. All of us are in some kind of journey, and we are along this journey today, and we'll go through some of those journeys. 
In Genesis 33, 13, it says, the children are tender. If you're in a journey today, just don't look too far. There's a child next to you. Whether you're a grandparent or a parent, we made the biggest mistake of having a big sleepover Friday night. We've been planning this for years, and all the grandkids came and slept over and demolished my house. We finally got Danny down at 12.30. He swears he goes better sleep with the, with the TV on. And then I got the information that I'm preaching Sunday. I said, okay, no problem. Well, then Saturday, got a made big breakfast, and the stupidity that we had in our journey, we're having the whole family over for dinner, for lunch at 2 o'clock. The only smart thing is I did is I had a catered. <laughs> and after we ate and everybody slept around till 5 or 6, went to prayer meeting, <laughs> we were tired. To worsen the fact, my daughter had to get on a plane at 4 o'clock this morning. <laughs> it's the daughter that does it to you every time. I'm telling you right now. So my wife, the brave person that she is, <laughs> took the dog and the daughter and her husband to the airport at 4.30. I don't care where you're at, you're in journey. And you may be tired right now. You may be happy, little lucky. You may have everything all doing well. Or you may be, I talked to Bob out there. And, <laughs> sorry, Bob. I seen Bob leaning against the wall. <laughs> I said, hey, Bob, don't you be dying right now. <laughs> and he goes, oh, I'm not dying. So he started telling me the story. And the compassionate guy that I is, I took time to talk to him like two minutes, said, okay, you got to go. But the children are tender, it says. And verse 14, it says, I will lead them softly. No matter what journey you're on, there's some kind of children around you of some sorts. you got to hold the line. Unfortunately, on the Oregon Trail, one to five children died. And here's sort of the bad part. Because the train was moving and there's no time to dig graves. It was moving. Now you could take the child and you could bury the child at camp or that night or whatnot. But I hate to tell you this, a lot of people put the bodies in the ruts and put the dirt over the rut because the ruts were so deep because they had to keep moving. Now you say how harsh. Yeah, that is harsh. That is harsh. But they died from accidents, mostly. We can't afford accidents in our life. We just can't. But we got to keep moving. We can't take shortcuts. Proven fact was the Donner Party. Out of 87, 46 survived. Someone told them about a way to get to California, and they were already late. They had to cut a path through the mountains, which wasn't a path. They ran out and believed the wrong people. They took bad advice. Only 33 children survived. But the bad part is about this story, the Donner Party, is this. Because they survived on cannibalism in their journey, how do you rebound from that? To have to resort to that. How do you rebound because you believed a lie and you took a shortcut and you, the poor children had no idea. They were believing the parents had their way of going and this was an easier way. And they all talk about the camp and it's a way easier way. Just believe us. And the kids followed with the guilelessness and saying, my dad and my mom know the right way. But they didn't because they believed the lie. 
They took a shortcut, and many lives were lost. Not to say that could be the same in the spiritual world. Way to get to California. But I will say this. I'm almost done with this part. The people that came on the Oregon Trail came to the Dalles, came to that place in Oregon, and they had to float. And a lot of lives were lost floating down that river, the Columbia. But then someone made a way over the mountains. But there was a guy named John McLaughlin. He was in Fort Vancouver. And it was all British owned. Alaska was Russia, and uh, Louisiana purchased, and you had America, and you had a lot of Britain owned a lot of stuff. And the, the guy at uh, McLaughlin at Fort Vancouver, the British said, discouraged the settlers from, because they didn't want to lose the property, discouraged the settlers from staying here. Be mean to them. Don't give them anything. Well, you know what McLaughlin did? Just the opposite. He Because when they got over that last mountain into Oregon, they, they, were, they were thin, they were emancipated, whatever it is, and they were starving, they were thin. And he gave them food. He gave them medicine. And he gave them clothing. He did the right thing. Not much difference when we get saved. We are spiritually just, spiritually just not a shell of a man or a woman. And when you get saved, God gives you that spiritual food. He gives you spiritual clothing and he gives you a place to live. The Holy Ghost comes and gets in your temple and hangs out with you. Because he, see, McLaughlin did the right thing. Journeys. A lot of men and women had journeys in the Bible. Jacob, we heard about his journey when he met Esau. Noah, out of Mount Ararat, most of his descendants migrated to Babel. Abraham's journey, he went to the Ur of the Chaldees, to Canaan, then into Egypt. Everybody knows the story. Rebecca, Haran to her Canaan, her homeland, Haran to her, her, to her, from Haran to the Canaan to become Isaac's wife. Jacob, he wrestled with God and he ran to Bethel. Joseph, <laughs> in a caravan, sold in slavery. The Midianites went to Egypt. Moses fled Egypt and went to Midian. Samuel went to Bethlehem and anointed David. Elijah fled from the presence of Jezebel to Mount Horeb. Naaman went to Syria, to Israel, to be healed. Barnabas to Jerusalem, to Antioch, to Antioch, to plant churches. Paul went to Rome to spread the gospel. What about your story? I uh, was going on a fishing trip with a guy who remained nameless. It's Richard. And so, uh, you know, I didn't, you know, come on, man, that's a lot of work. You, you got to go, and we say, okay, we're going to go on this date. You got to get the right, no full moon. You got to get the right weather. Brother Han knows what I'm talking about. Last place you want to be down there is when it's bad weather, right, brother? It's about 5,400 feet, and when the wind blows there, it's like you blow sideways. And so we got the right day. We went and got the food before the day, me and my wife, and that was just a horrible thing where I thought I was going to get good chicken, and they didn't have good chicken, and, and the grapes were bad, and everything is bad, and this wasn't going well, and and then we got ready, and I said, okay, Rich, we're leaving. Oh, he's remained nameless, the fishing guy. He said, uh, okay, we're going to leave 430. Now, you be there because 
I don't trust myself, but I trust myself enough to tell my wife to get me up at four, so be it, I did it. Well, he got lost on the way to my house, but he was still on time. I'm, I'm lost in the subdivision. Well, who gets lost in the subdivision? That's what you get for being close to me. <laughs> You're going to be in one of these messages, so stay away. <laughs> so, preservation here. Anyway, um, we got up, we got out 4.30, we got there, we got the first lake, and we caught three or four and five, and wasn't doing well, and I, we went to all my secret spots, and then we were just going to go to Sheep Creek. So we went to Sheep Creek. Went all the right way around the lake, and, and some secret spots, everything's a secret spot, and caught six or seven, and, and yeah, it just wasn't a good day. Then we went across the dam to my other secret spot, we caught a ton, 15, 20 inches, we Caught him for an hour. Just let him laugh every cast. And I first cast. I always give him first cast. And we cast, 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 catch every cast, catch one. Letting him go. Just having, and the good thing is, he fell, we had our seal dries on. Have you ever seen a fat man in seal dries? Okay. Well, when you do, it's not very pretty. So, but he fell in the water a couple times, which made it amusing for me. We got a lot, we didn't, Fords don't get stuck. We got a little stuck and we punched it and we filled my cab, cab full of dust. We were all wet. The dirtiest my truck's ever been, and he didn't help me clean it, A. And then, he didn't. So then, we got, we got, filled some gas, smiles on our faces, get the gas, get in the car, and he brings me a big ice cream cone. Well, thank you for bringing me an ice cream cone. So two fat men caught a ton of fish that day, driving home with two ice cream cones, just as happy as can be. Well, because he's a reader, he sees my GPS, he says, hey, there's a wreck on the freeway. I go, ah, you read too much. Well, sure enough, the wreck on the freeway, and my cat-like reflexes jumped off. And we got, and we went between the subdivisions and our another secret pass, and we got home way faster than everybody else. But on the way going home, I got pulled over. Fine young man officer. <laughs> what are you guys doing? Well, I told, had to tell him the whole story. I couldn't find my stuff. I said, I sold in my truck. I have my truck. I don't have all the, the stuff. And, and he goes, what have you guys been doing? We were fishing all day. I go, would you have fun? And we were just wore out. We were dirty. And uh, he had grace upon us and let us go. God was good that day. <laughs> Got home. Just think of this. If we would have done all that, went to the Indian Reservation, been doing it for years, toiled all day and didn't catch a fish, the ice creams would have been good, but not as good. The traffic jam we had to get in would have been bad. And we probably would have got a ticket. So what's your story? That's just one two-and-a-half-day story. We have stories in our life and journeys in our life. And you can't pretend they're not real. They are. And there's always someone little close to you, either tugging at your coat or thinking you're great or sitting in your chair I mean, when you have them spend night, there's one kid in my lap and then another kid in my lap. And then, oh, my goodness. I mean, I don't mind being in a rock chair for three hours, but it's like, you know, it's almost like a circus ride. And my wife's doing all the work, pretty much. And what wives do, everybody's going through some kind of journey. You can't take a shortcut. I'm sorry. If you take a shortcut in your journey, someone will pay a huge price. I mean, we, we look back at raising our kids. Oh, I was so strict, sometimes too strict. And you can't turn back. 
If they would have turned back in the middle of their journey, they would have caught the winter and the winter would have killed them. See, that's why they had to keep going because the, the last pit of the Rockies they were going through, the snow was going to fall and it would kill them. It would be unpassable. See, winter's always coming in our lives, guys. There's a storm floating somewhere. Crisis will come. That's why them trail bosses were diligent. Let's go. And people who stopped, let them go. And if they let them go, if the uh, terrain didn't kill them, the Indians would probably. Time for self-examination, seeking counsel, reevaluating yourself, drawing closer to the Lord. I will lead them softly as the children may be able to endure. I think about this in Genesis 33, 11, it says, because God hath dealt graciously with me. I started my journey many years ago. And everyone has some kind of journey. And a journey where there will be crisis. Guaranteed. It's coming. There will be a crisis in your life. And you might be going through a journey and a crisis right now in your journey. And when we do that, we, we look to every reason or everything to change it but God. Young person that, and I can relate to young people because I like them. They maybe have his or her heart broken, and we as older people look at them and go, that's just puppy love. And they're out there. Remember this, guys? I do it. I don't want to, it's not real flowers, but remember she loves me? She loves me not? Has anybody ever done that? Right? Am I the only guy in this audience ever done it? Thank you. What, a, what an honest man right there. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not. She loves me, she loves me not, but she loves me not. That's a tough thing for a young person. And you and I both know they will get over it. And you and I both know times will change. But during that one month, six months year of I don't know what to do with myself, I can't live with myself, and they're going along the journey with you. You have to be careful. You don't drive them too hard. you got to lead softly. So that the young may endure. And I think society, we probably cater to our kids a little much in fun things. Because when I grew up, kids had this much say. Goose egg. We did what the parents did. And it didn't matter what you had planned. You want to play sports? Go to the park. You want to have football? You go to the game. You want to do this? Ride your bike. Mom or dad may or may not attend. Usually may not attend. Big goose egg. Now the kids put the pressure on the parents. You're a bad parent if you don't go to every game. Boy, that's... Who's running the show then? Now, I've done the games. Don't get me wrong. But who's running the show? I'm all for sports. I think it teaches kids great things. I do. I played them. I loved them. My kids were in them. It's good to see your kid lose. <laughs> it is. One football year, the oldest two in this junior, uh, junior varsity lost every game. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe. They won one. And I thought, hmm. And then one of my boys, they won every game. Until the very end ones. It teaches you something. You're in a journey with people. 
How about you're in the journey of the job? You hate your boss. You hate your coworkers. You hate the company. I've been there. And you're locked in. I need that paycheck. I got a wife and kids. So I'm going to go put my best foot forward and I'm going to do my job so I can keep on going. But Lord, nobody knows this but you and me. That's all who needs to know. Because when God sees a man with an excellent spirit, he will bless him. You hate your boss? Be his boss. Be so good, they'll fire him and hire you. That can't happen. I guarantee it happens all over the world time and time again. I will lead on softly. You notice it says, I will lead. If you don't lead, everybody's in trouble. You don't have to be the wagon master, the madman, the John Wayne. This is the way we're doing it or else. That's how my kids grew up. If I want to punish him, I know I've said this to you. We're watching John Wayne. Oh, Dad, please, no, John Wayne. We're watching it. And there will be questions. Because I know every answer. Dad, he's so old. He rides horses. and Have you? Yeah. Yeah. He sure does. Get on your sissy rollerblades and go across the country. <laughs> or jump a three-rail fence with some sissy rollerblades. Yeah. You try that. His horse will run right over you. It's good stuff. Or something you hit close to home. You're in a journey. And he or she. It's your marriage. Anybody been married any length of time sees that journey. And man and woman have dropped the ball in our leading. Oh, I've dropped it 100,000 times. And I will say I'm a better father than I am a husband. I wish it was the opposite. What about when you're in a journey and your marriage isn't going so well? We'll just take the shortcut. Go and listen to Dr. Slipjaw, and he'll tell us, hey, this is what you do to fix your marriage. I've had him in my office. First of all, they don't want to throw you out of the Bible and say, if it doesn't fulfill it, you can divorce for any reason if you're not H-A-P-P-Y. Ugh, chapter and verse. One lady says, I'm divorcing my husband because, and they don't go here, I've been gone here for years, so don't be trying to think of it, because he's a doofus. And I said, your husband is a doofus. But you can't divorce a doofus. Amen. Show me doofus. There's no doofus in the Bible. It's a Balaam's ass. Oh, he's swearing. It's in the Bible. I will lead on softly. What about... A journey with family problems, friendships. I will lead on softly. Just remember, I will lead on. Someone has to lead. So the children, plural, may endure. I had all 21 people at our house yesterday and seven grandkids and the rest are my kids and their wives and husband, husbands and all of them. And someone's got to lead. And you don't have to be a jerk. 
Someone's got to lead. Without leadership softly, then there is no leadership. And if you think you're the leader, then step it up. Leading is a lonely place. Maybe you're an older person. And I'm getting there. I was talking to Bob, and I told him, don't die. He's 76, right? I'm 62. 60, almost going to be 62. And I know he looks at me like, I just would pay to be your age, moron. You know, I mean, I know he's laughing and behind you going, you're such an idiot. Quit talking like that, you know? And I get that. But what about if you're an older person and you're in your journey? And I got I to gotta say this. I think being old is the hardest adventure there is, more so than youth. Loneliness comes in. Insecurity comes in. Lack of everything comes in. When you were once some people, and then your phone quits ringing. Your phone quits ringing. You know why? Because nobody cares about you no more. Unless you want to get a bunch of friends. Hey, I'll text you if you text me. But loneliness... Your kids start making fun of your messages. How many times journey did you say today, Dad? They think they're smarter than you. They can work these things way better. They think they can drive better. They think they can cook better. They can't. But you know what I'm saying? Older people have to, as once they were here, then because of God and wisdom, they step back. And they stand here with their mouth shut and their hand on their wallet. Going, okay, what's this going to cost? Yeah, yeah. What's, what do you need? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you too, huh? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's grandkids. Oh, what about them? I freely give it to the grandkids. Because 20 bucks is big with those guys. I asked Danny, do this for me, I'll give you 10 bucks. Danny goes, 100. I go, I, I, really got, I said, I will not be, I will not, I didn't want to tell you what I said. I will not give you $100. I'll go without my ice cream cone or whatever I told him to do. And Kelly goes, Danny, that's $10. No, I'll do it for 100. Capitalism at its best, man. Shyster. But what if you're an older person and you're going through a journey and here, here's, now I'm talking to myself. Be of good cheer. You get to meet the guy that you've been living for your whole life. It's going to be special. I know it's fearful. I know it's like he's the Lord. And I understand, I think of Ferris Chisholm with the Lord, Frank Graham with the Lord, Brother Pete's with the Lord. Think of these friends that were around forever with the Lord. They See, they're with him. But you get to meet the maker and the creator of all. And you, it's, it's not a... Uh, one guy explained it to me one time, an older gentleman. I used to have this Bible study with Brother Bob. It was a great time. He said... It was Bob who did it. Don. It was Don who said this. Death is graduating. It's graduation time. You know how you come for graduations and everybody, and they start on with their lives? The same with death. It's graduating with the Lord to another place. So if you're old here today and you are depressed, why be depressed? And here's what I got to say. 
I've watched a lot of godly men go home to be with the Lord. And I'm going to say this to everybody that's of any age. We're all watching you. How you do it. Do you know what encourages me more than anything? Anything. When I'm holding the hands of a dying man or woman, and they're saying, I'm ready to meet the Lord, brother. Done reading the scriptures, and they're just looking at your eyes and go, I go, will you say hi for me? I will. When you get to meet this person, you need to say hi. I will, brother. I can't wait to meet him. And when they go off in eternity, they usually have a smile, and they're gone. That is finishing your race. See, you may think starting the journey is important. I'm sorry, it's not. Finishing the journey is important. Most important journey is this. It's the journey of salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to. There's got to be one lost person in this audience. I was. I was lost, and I acted saved. But I didn't look lost. I didn't look saved. And someone explained to me about a journey that has to be taken, but you have to do it through Jesus Christ. And that's all heebie-jeebie-ish, but it is so real. Remember, those guys took a journey of 2,000 miles not knowing if they'd make it. A lot of them got 1,000 miles into it, and their wagon broke down. So what they could carry on their bags or make a little hand wagon, they finished it. They had to improvise. The Oregon Trail. Why'd they do it? They wanted a better land, better winters, better growing season, more secure future. And the people that didn't take the shortcut ended up with this. And there's people, and they had to pay a price, 2,000 miles, six months, dangers unknown, very uncomfortable situations, um, watching your loved ones die, discarded because the wagon train wouldn't stop. But that was my, that was my little son. It was my daughter. That was my uncle. Well, we got to go because we can't stay here. But see, God doesn't do that to you if you're lost. God's not going to leave you on the road to the Oregon Trail in a ditch. He's taking you with him. And here's what I'm saying this. If you're lost and you don't know Christ your Savior, let's be honest here. And you've been playing and messing with this game about getting saved and trusting Christ. And, and, and it's been messing with you and pulling on your coat strings and you're struggling with it. And you're struggling with it. See, you're not going to have to walk 2,000 miles. You're not going to take all your life savings and buy a two, four oxen and a trailer. And I mean, a, and a, 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 yeah, you don't have to do that. You don't have to hit your wagon with a bunch of people that don't know where they're going. Because if you get saved, you're going to hit your wagon with a bunch of people that do know where they're going because we're waiting for him to take us somewhere. The price has been paid. You don't have to pay a dime. 
The way has been established. There is a better land. There's a better government. There's no danger. There's no death. There's no night. There's 24 hours of daylight. And for you sun people, it's going to really be good because it's going to be pure light, which will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And for you weirdos, there'll be no taxes or payments. There'll be no evil people. There'll be no sin. Because we'll lead softly. Anything Christ has ever asked me to do, it's been done softly. Not me. Matthew 18. Almost done. Matthew 18. One. And if you're lost today, I'm going to say to you, I get it. At 21 years old, I was in a Grange Hall with, with a bunch of old people. I didn't understand about salvation and God and why you even go to church. And it wasn't normal. And the fan was in the window going, and it was like, why am I here? All the reasons not to trust Christ. But I had to put all my journey and stuff aside and take a respite and look at what's around me and what's going on and what am I involved with and why am I here? Why are you here today? Ask yourself that. Is this the message for the journey that you need? Why are you in this auditorium? Who got you here? Because their journey hooked to your journey and got you here. And it's not about numbers. It's about, oh, I'm telling you, we're all going somewhere, so get on the journey that's going somewhere that is going somewhere. Matthew 18, 1, it says, At the same time, the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? When Jesus called a little child unto him and set him in the midst of them. Now I know it's the kingdom of heaven versus the kingdom of God. And he said, Verily I say unto you, Except, be, except ye be converted and become as a little child, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whoso there shall humble himself as a little child, the same shall be greater as the kingdom of heaven. Whoso shall receive such a little one in my name. But here, the Hastings cut off. Here's the Hastings cut off. But whosoever shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it would have been better for him to tie a millstone around his neck and, be, and that he be, were drowned in the deepest depths of the sea. There's people out there that's going to tell you that my religion will get you to heaven, my books will get you to heaven, my thoughts will get you to heaven, my office will get you to heaven, my whoever will get you to heaven. And it won't. It won't get you to heaven. You've got to humble yourself. Forget all those stupid things you heard. Do you know for the first 21 years the things I heard about God? I was so polluted and disturbed in my mind, but when I heard the gospel that Jesus loves me and dies for me, and he wants you to go to heaven with him, and you got to believe on his son, that's all you have to do. Just trust and take your pride and your worldly clothes and throw them in the closet and say, I'll try this. Well, let me tell you, it's been a long time, 40-some years ago, I did that, not knowing what I was doing. And I was the least candidate. You got to put away your pride. Say, well, I don't think you have to come down here to get saved. No, you don't. You can ask God to forgive you right in your seat. But you know what? Why would you even care? Think about it. 
Why would you be worried to come up to an altar and say, I'll have someone show you how to get saved. And we take you off in a, out there and we take you into a little room and tell you how to get saved uh, on your own if you have any questions. Because it's that important. That's not embarrassing. That's not hard. Is it? Because when God comes and says, I never knew you, depart from me in the lake of fire, and you say, well, well you, that fat German told you you needed to come forward. And, we, and I mean, we're singing. Nobody's looking. You're ushered off into a room. No embarrassment. We don't want to embarrass you. We don't want to say, hey, here's brother so-and-so. What do you got to say? We want you to know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Want to go and tell him about our Savior and lead someone to Jesus Christ. And then what you do in your journey, because that's the beginning of your journey. Independence, Missouri, I'm going to a better land, but I don't have to walk 2,000 miles. I don't have to walk millions and millions of people have led and spoken softly for, million, for thousands of years. And the lady who led me to Christ spoke softly to me. And I knew I was lost and dying going to hell. Piano player, if you come up here. I knew I was lost and dying going to hell. Think about it. Think about that question. I was lost, dying, going to hell. I'm awful afraid to come forward because, no, every head is going to be bowed. Every eye is going to be closed. No one is going to be watching you except for the King of kings and the Lord of lords. That's it. And a piano player and an organ player, whoever. And they're worried about their instrument. And if you're lost and you don't know Christ as your Savior, this is the time. And I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask every Christian in this church to bow their head and pray that that one soul or two souls or whatever, that the Holy Spirit will tap them on the shoulder and bring them forward. Ooh, it's a lot of pressure. No. And if nobody comes, then nobody comes. But I thought this. I've been in a journey for 40 years. And if I never had God in my life, there'd be nobody in that row right there. God brought me that. I wouldn't have had 21 people in my house yesterday. Goose egg. And you need to remember, without him, you're nothing. And you will be nothing. Every Christian, if you bow your head and pray, and every head bow and every eye closed, as the instruments play, if you want to be saved, if you want to be saved, come on forward. We'll have a guy or a lady take you into a room and deal with you. We are not going to embarrass you. We're not going to ask you to do it. But come forward. Take that step out of your seat and come accept Christ as your Savior. Christians, as you pray, where the Spirit of God, there is liberty. Where two or more, I'm in the midst. Do you need saved today? If you need saved, you're in the right place. We don't want to take you and teach you to be a Baptist. We want you to get saved. Because so you can lead softly and the little ones around you need help.
The little ones around you need help. We'll just tarry for a couple minutes. Christian, how are you doing with this? Are you leading softly or are you not leading anymore? No one comes to get saved. What about you, Christian? How's your leading? Are you leading softly or are you not leading anymore? Remember, there's little ones around. They need you. They need you to be right on the money. stand, turn in your book to 136. Could you come up and uh, dismiss us in a, Lord, a word of prayer? All right, let's pray. God, we sure love you, Lord. We thank you, God, that we could be here today, Lord. Thank you for the journeys that you've put us each on, Lord. Think of my journey, how I came here as Brother Kendall, Lord, and uh, not knowing why I was here, Lord, but God, you tapped me on the shoulder and I was able to get saved 20 years ago. So God, I thank you for that. Thank you for our church, Lord. Thank you for the church family that we have. God, I just ask you to bless the remainder of this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.